Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to the Guilty as Charged podcast presented by the Chargers Podcast Network. My name is Steven, and I am the host, as always, and joining me is my guy, Tyler. Tyler, what's up, man? How are you doing today? Uh, I'm sick, and the Chargers are 0-2. I don't know if those things are connected, but I'll make it through it. I have my uh, Mike Williams two-point conversion in Arrowhead mug, so hopefully it can get me through. Steven, how are you? <laughs> nice. I, lo- I love the mug. Uh, doing good. Work's going great. You know, the podcast is doing well. We uh, hit 9,000 subscribers on our own channel, so uh, go check us out there. Appreciate any support there. It's obviously uh, supporting us here on this channel, too. So um, today, obviously, coming off of uh, the Chargers loss at Tennessee, we are going to do a little bit of a different way to discuss this episode. Um, we're going to do a segment called Five Truths, where Tyler and I are going to look at some uh, takes of ours that we have that are backed up by the film and the data, having you know a couple of days to uh, reflect back on this uh, matchup that we saw on Sunday in Nashville and, and kind of projecting where this team can go from here. Um, we're also going to do our game balls as we do every single week, like I said uh, previously. Um, we are, you know, there's a charitable aspect to the game ball segment. So we want to make sure we maintain that segment all throughout the year, even if the chargers lose. And then we are going to talk briefly about some things that the, uh, chargers need to change outside of the obvious, uh, heading into their matchup this week with the Minnesota Vikings. So, um, that being said, we'll dive in first and foremost, Tyler and I are fans of the team, just like you guys are, we have this platform and are very grateful for it. Um, but the takes that we share on the show are not always reflective of those within the Chargers organization. Um, they have given us this platform and we're very excited to have it. Um, but these opinions that we share today are ours and ours alone, not that of the organization. So, um, Tyler, let's dive in here. Uh, five truths. That's the way that we're framing the episode today. Uh, what truth should we start with? Ooh, okay. Well, you asked me to start last week and I started negative. And I'll do it sort of again, but maybe there's some hope for this because there can be some change. My truth is this. The Chargers are mixing and matching their defensive backs, their rotating snaps, and they have a high complexity of coverages. And they're also currently one of the worst coverage units in the league. That is a truth. And I don't want to jump into causation because it's so early. It's only been two weeks. But I do want to discuss the relationship, especially diving into more of this, between this complexity and then the outcomes. So there's this score index called the Shannon Entropy, which if you know Arjun from our channel, he's been using that before to describe like how Derwin James is used in a defense and the different ways that he's used. It can be used to measure how often secondaries mix and max their coverages. And it specifically is a measure of how unpredictable the coverage is based on a variety of roles and their usages. The Chargers right now, granted it's only been two weeks, but they're second, or excuse me, fifth in Shannon Entropy through two weeks, meaning that they mix up their coverages quite a bit. However, they are 32nd in dropback EPA per play. And right now they're rotating five corners. We've seen that. And we saw it a lot against Tennessee. You get two drives, you get a bench for a drive, uh, you're the starting slot, but now you're playing primarily on the outside Brandon Silly says that Jot Taylor is actually now their starter at star. Um, so he's going to be their starter there. So now it comes down to three corners trying to fight for two outside jobs. And granted, like some of that issue, some of that complexity is just because JC Jackson is ramping back up to playing in full. So they're still trying to figure that out. And I get that. But the result has been almost 20 
explosive passing plays allowed in two games. And that's something maybe you can allow against the Dolphins, but I didn't expect that to continue against the Titans in week two. And I think part of that issue is that the players are not able to get into a comfortable rhythm to play faster and to play sound. And what the Chargers might be teaching in practice or showing in the film room is not translating to game day. And so here's some quotes from Brandon Staley's postgame press conferences that stick out to me regarding responsibilities, roles, coverages, etc. So after Miami, uh, we didn't play the right leverages in a lot of the coverages that we had designed. Another one, the corner needs to play outside on the guy because all of his help is inside. Against Tennessee, we just didn't play the right technique and leverage. Asante Samuel Jr. should have been on top of the route. Another quote, the safety could have given more body presence on a deep ball. And you're starting to see these things kind of build up over the course of the last two games. And one final quote here is from Michael Davis in Daniel Popper's article from The Athletic, which is this. Playing corner is all about a rhythm. If you're going in and out, you lose your rhythm. That's the quote from Michael Davis. So, you know, teaching, like coaching, it's about giving your students, about giving your athletes the best chance to succeed and be the best versions of themselves, not just hand them a really complex textbook or, or scheme or defense and hope that they just catch up. So right now we're seeing far too many explosive plays, you know, far too many missed assignments, a penalty at the wrong time. Um, and I just think the inconsistency in the play snaps and the complexity of the defense is not helping the secondary in a noticeable way. Whether it's supposed to work or not, maybe it's the greatest scheme and idea of all time, I don't know. But right now, given the numbers, given the film and the outcomes, it is currently not working. And right now, according to Arjun, again, I, I lean on Arjun for a lot of these things, the Chargers only have a perfectly covered play about 32% of the time, which is eighth worst in the league between the Cardinals and the Panthers, which is where you really don't want to be in most cases, all respect to the Cardinals and the Panthers and the fire in your gut and all that. So overall... <laughs> Something I think needs to change, and it might just be everything settles down, things are less complex, you name it, but it has to change because you have Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, CeeDee Lamb, the Chiefs, those guys are all next. It doesn't get any easier. Yeah, it doesn't get any easier this week. Like you mentioned, um, Justin Jefferson, in my opinion, the best receiver in the league. Um, you know, he's a guy who's currently leading the league in, in receiving yards and, and is averaging an, an absurd <laughs> yards per route run, according to PFF. And, you know, you look at the, that data entry point of, of how the Vikings are playing right now, and you look at what Jordan Addison has done. He only has seven catches, but his average depth of target is tied for highest in the league. You know, he's creating an explosive place for his team at a really, really high level. And Kirk Cousins, we know, likes to take shots and, and is willing to hold the ball and, and, and throw it deep. So this unit needs to figure itself out. And I think some of that is is the coaching points that you mentioned of, of the rotation and figuring out who is best and where. You know, right now, Brandon Staley says that we have the one guy settled, which is Jasir Taylor at uh, the starting star position. And the other guys need to figure it out. And this is kind of the way that I took it is that this is kind of an extension of training camp. Um, they view this as, a, as an open competition and they're waiting for two guys to kind of settle the position down. And you, you watch this tape against the Tennessee Titans and there's just a lot of miscommunications. You know, this is a, this is a coaching staff and a, and a defensive back room where you have to match routes. You have to match coverages. You have to communicate at a really, really high level. 
you know, there's a lot of moving parts like Tyler is mentioning. And if you're not on top of your game, this is what, this is the result. The result is a lot of explosive passes and, you know, we didn't see it at the same rate against the Titans as we did the Dolphins because the Titans don't pass it that often. And, and when they do, they don't have a good offensive line to protect them. Um, so this is what's concerning to me is just like the lack of communication, the lack of, of matching routes at, at the proper level, you know, that Traylon Burks big play that the, that the Titans had that sparked their first touchdown drive, which was right after the Chargers first touchdown drive. Um, you, you watch that play on film and yeah, Ryan Tannehill hit Traylon Burks for a big play, but DeAndre Hopkins was coming over the field on a bend on a bender route and he was wide open. He could have hit been hit for a big play himself. It probably wouldn't have been a 75 yard play, but it would have been a big play. And there were other chances for Ryan Tannehill on based off of what I saw on film for him to take shots deep and he would just check it down or, or you know, he would take a sack or, or whatever the case may be. There were some missed opportunities from the Titans offense. And obviously that's not what you are hoping to see on film from a, a Chargers defense. So I'm hopeful that settling things down and in terms of the rotation can improve the defense and what we see in terms of the communication, in terms of the explosive plays, but like they don't have a choice. They're, they play in some of the best receivers and on offenses and quarterbacks in the league over the next few weeks. Um, you know, I, whatever your opinion is of Jimmy G, they still have Devonte Adams. He's one of the best receivers in the league still to this day. So um, they have to be better. And I, I'm hopeful that they do ultimately come out of this on the positive side. Yeah, and I think they will. We saw towards the end of last season that at least in the secondary, we felt like everyone was perfect in their coverages and on their assignments. Again, we, we go back to this game frequently, but that Dolphins game, yes, it was about scheme, but it was also about execution, understanding your assignments. And those DBs were ready, as ready as anybody could have ever been for that game. So that is there. This is all there. And the, the defensive line is going to, if they continue to have games like they did against the Titans, help out the secondary. So I, I think things can improve. I think they, they will improve. And yeah, they, they do have to improve. So that's where we're at right now. But I do think this can get better over the course of the season. Or at minimum, it just has to. And I hope it does. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. Um, all right. Our second truth of the day on a more positive side. Uh, Mr. Tuli Tuipolotu, welcome to the NFL. Welcome to, you know, announcing yourself to this stage. Um it was his first career start this week, and man, was it impressive on tape. The numbers are also very, very impressive. Um, you can bring up some of the numbers uh, here in a second, but just from a, a film perspective, it really felt like I was watching 2019, 2020 Melvin Ingram, man. It, it, it brought back some flashback vibes for me. Mm. Um, I loved the, the way that Brandon Staley and company were using him. Um, that's something we were not necessarily that specific package, but on the show last week, one thing that we wanted to see changed was the amount of stunts and pressures and, and designer looks increased, right? Especially against the Titans to create pressure. And they debuted this look with Tuli Tuipolotu as a stand-up brusher where he would kind of roam around a little bit and, and then be isolated against guards, um, isolated in stunts. And it was electric to watch Tuli play on Sunday. Um, there were a couple of times where just like the sheer effort that he was playing with really stood out to me. And then there's another time where he's rushing off of the right side of the offensive line with Khalil Mack and Morgan Fox in between him. And he just puts the right guard on his butt, just bull rushes him uh, and allows Khalil Mack to get pressure on him and get a quarterback hit. There's another time, obviously, the Joey Bosa's first sack where he, he splits that double team on a stunt. And Joey is the one who gets the credit for the sack there. But that play is created by Thule. 
you know, what he did as a pass rusher was super impressive. And then you go to his run defense. He had three run stops, according to PFF. Um, and they all came in a variety of ways. There was one where he was setting the edge. He stacked the, the, the pulling tight end and he shed him. And then he, and then he made a play on the ball. There's another time where he um, ripped through uh, uh, the offensive tackle on the backside and chased Derrick Henry down. There's another time where he just crossed the tight end's face, just like, I'm faster than you, and I'm going to play harder than you, and I'm going to get to this football. So this, we talked about Thule, you know, in training camp, and his ability as a run defender elevates his floor as a player. And if this is the guy that they're going to get that can provide these kind of stunts, and designer blitz packages alongside these two other edge rushers, it's going to elevate the floor of Thule as a player, but also as the rest of the pass rushing group going forward because it just allows this team to manufacture one-on-ones, and Joey Bosa was able to get two sacks because of it. Morgan Fox had a, had a sack and a couple quarterbacks hit because of it, and then Thule had a sack and a couple quarter, quarterback hits because of it. So... I loved watching Thule. My number one takeaway from the defense outside of like the coverage unit was Thule. Like Thule had himself a day, and it was incredibly fun to watch where he debuted. And I'm very, very optimistic about where he can go from here on uh, as a player. I'm waiting for the rookie thing to hit in. Where's the rookie wall? When does that <laughs> kick in for Thule? Because we felt pretty good about him when they drafted him, but he continues and look. I've watched him maybe 12 times at this point, whether it's practice, the scrimmage, the preseason, week one, week two. I watch him enough times, and I don't recall him ever having a bad day. There's always something positive, and the players yeah. are always saying something positive about him. And look, it's tough in the NFL to just jump in as a just-turned-21-year-old, a rookie who was not used primarily as an edge rusher in college, to just jump in in your second game and have to start. And to be that uh, efficient against the run and against the pass in just your second start or your first start, your second game, is tremendous. And you're right now your leader in pass rush productivity and win rate among Chargers edge rushers, it's not Joey Bosa, it's not Khalil Mack, it's Thule. And he's on about as many snaps as those guys too. Do I expect that to hold? Not necessarily, but who am I to doubt this guy? He's been so far their best draft pick. Um, he's certainly they've been their best rookie, most productive rookie so far. And like you pointed out, what's so impressive is that he's just this pressure multiplier, this force multiplier for the defense. You can't just dial these plays up and the designer looks up with a player who can't handle the responsibilities and free up those guys. You can't just do this if you don't take the other guys seriously. And I don't know what the Titans would have thought about Thule heading into this game, but I mean, that rep against the left guard and the left tackle to free up Joey Bosa, where Thule almost got there before Joey Bosa, who was freed up by Thule, was yeah. sensational. Like that play in particular just lets you know that this guy is something. And I don't, I don't always love the iron sharpens iron thing. Yes, it's true, but you hear that every <laughs> training camp, every preseason. But this is one of those cases where I think it pays off. I mean, you go against Rashawn Slater every day, who's playing God-tier football right now, and guess what? The guys across from you throughout the entire year aren't going to be Rashawn Slater. You might get that once. And so, and Trey Pipkins as well, for what it's worth, both very good tackles. Trey, or Rashawn Slater, just a whole different tier. But the way he's translated from 
the college career to now this, his start to his career, you feel really good about him as a starting edge moving forward as early as, you know, next season, he could be one of your starting edges and you feel great about him. And at least for right now as an edge three, he has more pressures, sacks and run stops by himself through two games than the Chargers edge three and edge four did last year combined through two games. Pretty, pretty impressive. You look at his... (laughs) rankings amongst rookie edge rushers i mean this is a group that has a guy like will anderson who um we all loved uh i think you had him as the highest graded prospect in the class last year i was very high on him you have lucas van s keon white uh felix andrew dk a bunch of first round picks and according to, to pff Thule has the highest win rate amongst any rookie edge rusher right now that has at least 20 percent of their team's respective snaps um, he's definitely the highest uh, run stop percentage amongst rookie, rookie edge rushers. So they're getting immediate impact from Thule, and it looks great when you compare that to everybody else. Um, for what it's worth, uh, he's sixth in the entire league amongst edge rushers in run stop percentage right now, right behind Khalil Mack. So um, they're getting a ton from Khalil, from Thule right now, and I think this is just very encouraging because – you know, there was some concern. Maybe he starts slow. You know, edge rushers generally take a little bit to find their stride. But he just plays so hard that I think, like, his floor is so high because of it. Like, he's just going to outwork whoever he's going up against. And right now the production looks great. Um, you know, I, I think that his best attribute as a pass rusher is still probably, like, doing that kind of um, amoeba stand-up rusher role. Like, if you just look at his straight up edge rusher pass rushing snaps. I think that's where he can t- continue to develop obviously as a pass rusher. But again, like if you're getting that kind of role out of Thule as a rookie, like he's going to be very, very successful this year. And it just makes everything easier for everybody else. Like Morgan Fox had himself a day because him and Thule are rushing right next to each other. You got to pick your poison, you know, and then you put him in between Morgan Fox and then Khalil or Joey. Like it, it's it's a lot of fun. That was my favorite thing to watch on tape was how they used Thule on defense on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I completely agree there. And I'll flip to my next truth, which is a positive. So, hey, I got a positive one here, I promise. We talked about this before the show, and I wanted to bring it up. Rashawn Slater is the best football player right now, playing the best football of anyone in the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, and I don't mean that he's the most valuable player, but he's playing the best football of anyone outside of maybe long snapper Josh Harris, um, who has been perfect <laughs> and made a tackle on special teams. Otherwise, very efficient. here's what Slater... Yeah, of course. Yeah, very good. Here's what Slater Island looks like. So Bradley Chubb and Arden Key, they had 14 pressures and four sacks playing the Patriots and the Saints. You go to Rashawn Slater and Slater Island, and you get one pressure between the two of you. And I'm pretty sure that pressure is one where he had to block for over three seconds. It's complete erasure of the team's best rusher or one of their best rushers. Like what Rashawn Slater is doing, and I'll let you speak to what you've seen on film, particularly in the last game, what he's doing is phenomenal. And I think that because of his injury, so many people forgot about who this guy was and how great he was. Second team all pro as a rookie, he's back and he's back and he's better than ever. As, as we heard last year from Duke Manyweather, Rashawn Slater even though he was a second team all pro as a rookie was one of his most improved players in the off season. So what the heck does that look like? And unfortunately we didn't get to see much of that last year, but we just, we're seeing it now, man. And he has been phenomenal. Some players, some tackles in particular 
are just playing a different sport than everybody else. There's guys that are really, really good tackles. And then you have a few select guys like Elaine Johnson, like a Tristan Wirfs had been, where they just only allow 15 pressures in 17 games. And right now with only one pressure allowed in two games, that's where Rashawn Slater is headed. Like we're watching some special football from a player that if he stays healthy, could seriously contend for Mount Rushmore player for the Chargers when all is said and done. Man, it's a, it's such a relief watching him play. And like the Chargers had good offensive tackle play at, at left tackle. Jamari is a good left tackle, but it, it's just a different level of play when you watch Rashawn Slater. Um, it, you looked at Arden Key's, uh, specifically Arden Key's stats after the first game, and he was one of the most disruptive and efficient and effective pass rushers in the league after the first game. And he had one win. <laughs> According to PFF his, PFF, his win percentage was 3.1%, which is one win. Like, he won, he beat Rashawn once. Like, congrats. It's never going to happen again. Um, it, it's just such a calming effect over there because he's able to just shut down that side. It, it's very similar to having, like, a true shutdown corner and, like, what that can do to, like, that side of the football because Rashawn is just going to, you know, take on whatever challenge you want him to on that side, whether it's, uh, you know, a guy like Chandler Jones, a guy like, uh, you know, this week is going to be Marcus Davenport, potentially Daniel Hunter, you know, Rashawn is just going to shut that side down and you don't have to send help that side. Um, I counted like over the past two games, I kind of one chip from Joshua Kelly. Like that was, it was like a design chip, I think just cause maybe Rashawn needed like a little, a little breather, just needed a little break. Um, but it, it's just so much fun to watch him on tape, man. Like there's this uncanny ability that he has to there's an offensive line technique called a snatch where you just knock the hands down and then you know the the opposing rusher just kind of falls down Rashawn does it in just like the most like quietly like disrespectful way possible <laughs> like he just like sets them down he's like okay here you go like that was good enough good try um mm-hmm. you look at the numbers perspective like you mentioned just the single pressure um, ESPN has him as the fourth highest run block win rate offensive tackle in the league right now. Um, they don't have him super high on the pass blocking metric, which I don't really understand. Um, but he's, he's playing dominant football. Like, you know, it's not just like he's an efficient pass protector. Like he's moving folks in the run game too. Um, so I'm glad you shouted him out because it's just been so much fun having him back. And I think that, you know, it just uh, similar to like what Thule giving the pass rush Rashawn mm. just, raises the floor of, of everybody around him because he just takes that much pressure off of the left side of the, the offense. Yeah. Love, love having him back. Uh, Steven, what is your next truth? Yeah. My, my next truth is that Chargers fans need to be patient with Quentin Johnston and his usage. I think that this is a player who rightfully so received a lot of hype. I think we, we loved what we saw in training camp. Um, the usage to me needs to increase because you watch Quentin Johnson on tape and he is getting open. He is taking advantage of his opportunities. Um, and this is both a Kellen Moore thing and a Justin Herbert thing. Um, both of those two need to figure out a way to use Quentin Johnson more because his skill set is far too valuable to be getting 10 snaps and one target or two targets uh, against the Tennessee Titans secondary. That was pretty banged up. Um, there was a couple plays where you see just kind of the the um, kind of the magnitude of, of Quentin Johnson and what he can provide. Um, you know, one of them was Keenan Allen's uh, cover two hole shot that Justin Herbert hit on a thirty yard pass. 
Quentin Johnson was running a post and the safety that was playing that side of the field absolutely just went like he just flew after Quentin because that's where he probably thought the ball was going. He's the, the faster, more explosive threat. And Keenan was wide open because of it. So the, just the gravity of Quentin that he can provide this offense, it's unlike any other receiver that they have right now. There was another instance where Justin Herbert threw a jump ball to Mike Williams on the left side. But if he had just kind of stayed to the right a little bit, Quentin Johnson was was open on a skinny post route. And he beat the the, the slot receipt or the slot corner very cleanly off the line and, and he stretched him vertically and he was open. It could have been a big play. Granted, Mike Williams could have been a big play as well. But Quentin Johnson is getting open and the patience for me comes that that getting open is going to continue happening and that will eventually translate to targets and more snaps and you know a, a player that eventually we're going to be very very happy with his rookie season so I understand you know the frustration of, of the usage I think that does need to increase but uh, just be patient I think good things are coming for Quentin Johnson because he is getting open on tape yeah I think we all need to be patient with Quentin Johnson that was sort of the theme before training camp and then we hyped things up and we see the big plays and whatnot but overall patience in this particular room is key with that said i do believe and you've talked about this like fans have a right to be uh, to raise their eyebrows and to be a bit frustrated and wonder what's going on with the usage because you know i was watching the game against the titans and it was kind of a passive thought for me until i asked arjun hey how many how many snaps did darius davis play compared to quentin johnson and the difference was Darius Davis played 11 and Quentin played 10. And I understand the slow ramp up idea for Quentin Johnston. Again, in this offense, there's, you know, other guys, other $20 million receivers. It's not like Keenan Allen hasn't been dominating. You know, it's not like, oh, we, we should just stop feeding Keenan Allen. No, he's been great. You know, Mike Williams had a really good game, but I'm just surprised by how the ramp up has accelerated for Darius Davis and not so much for Quentin Johnston, who, look, I think between you and I, he was maybe wide receiver four or five, maybe three at best. I don't know. No matter what you thought of him, wide receiver one, wide receiver 10, there was one very obvious thing about Quentin Johnston that we talked about as soon as they drafted him on this channel. We brought up the graph. He is in a completely different planet compared to his peers in the class when it comes to Yak and missed tackles forced. And so I just naturally assumed, I think we all assumed that no matter what, even if Mike Williams is the, the big play guy down the field and Keenan Allen runs routes or whatever, whatever we thought about those receivers and, and their roles in this offense, I think we all thought that Quentin Johnston would be more involved in just a few plays a game that were designed to get the ball in his hands and get him going. And instead, yeah. we really haven't seen that just yet. And it's not that Darius Davis should not have a role. I think what he's doing and the things he's showing is a little bit of gadgety work, especially that fourth down play. That's great. I'm just surprised we're not seeing anything as much from Quentin Johnson. And by extension of that, um, Isaiah Spiller, a player that I am, I'm not really sure what happened uh, in the offseason, preseason, because he, I think he averaged four and a half yards per carry. There's a 70-yarder somewhere that doesn't count. By all reports and from what we've seen, he was RB2B in camp to the point where we were wondering, hey, is he like going to start over Kelly at some point? And then they're just kind of not using him. And they did run him once, but it was for three yards. But they've opted to go with 
Elijah Dotson. So those two players who are your highest drafted skill position players in each of the last two drafts, those guys not being used a ton right now is a bit strange. We'll see. It's so early. Things can change. You know, this time last year, it was a ton of like Sony Michelle. And then he (laughs) wasn't on the team after that. So, you know, like so much can change by the by reevaluations, et cetera. Totally. It's just been a surprise to see the usage be so low. And then I, I get fan frustration because you're watching the two players that were taken after him being used a lot more granted in different situations. There is no set of Keenan on and Mike Williams ahead of those guys and sort of by extension, also Austin Eckler. And so I, I hope those guys can get involved. And I, I kind of want to like round into another truth here, which is that the chargers they've scored 29 points per game and they've been way better than I expected. You give me 34, you give me 27, whatever it was, 24, you're feeling pretty good, right? 29 points per game, you're feeling pretty good. But they really collapse in those late moments to close out games. And it's not one player. It's not just the coordinator. It's not just, you know, whatever. It's just everything, something goes wrong every time. And they don't quite put it together in the end. And I don't know if it's because the defense expects them to be passing and therefore they can pin their ears back and just go so the offense can't be as balanced or what but right now they're not doing so hot at the end to close out games so against miami there was the sack intentional grounding another sack you know sacks in two seconds and 1.8 seconds to close things out in the fourth quarter against tennessee really promising start to that drive but things stall you get to the 25 you have 75 seconds you have three timeouts You only run five plays and kick a field goal. You take another sack on third down. And then in overtime, you know, there was the the deep shot to the right sideline to put the ball in harm's way. I think the only turnover worthy play that Justin Herbert's had all year. And then the ball was snapped on third down and not everyone was ready. So that has to get cleaned up. And I think, trying to wrap things back around here, I feel like Quentin Johnson and Isaiah Spiller are two guys that you could lean on in those moments to help your offense out just a bit. What if you use Isaiah Spiller, who the college tape's doing a bit of the heavy work here for me, but I think he's a good receiving back and someone that I've seen them use in some of these situations, in two-minute situations, to try to move the ball. I think you could use him in those situations, especially if Austin Eckler is out. I think you could use Quentin Johnson for a little yak play here and there. If you have a lot of time, I feel like you could use him in those situations. You know, it doesn't have to be these, these three deep shots. Now, Brandon Staley said they didn't call three deep shots on those plays. It's just what ended up happening. But I feel like you could find a way to incorporate both of those guys. So end of the game situations haven't been great. Unfortunately, it reflects the poorest on Justin Herbert. Unfairly so, I think. Because again, they'll score 30-something points. And just because they didn't score 37, oh, he's bummer. What a loser. What a failure. Like, But no, that, that's not it at all. <laughs> that's just, you know, other fans. But unfortunately, in those situations, the line, the coordinator, the players, Herbert, not everything works together perfectly. And so it reflects the poorest against him because all the spotlight's on him. And so they need to figure that out. Yeah, I think when you zoom out on the Kellenmore offense and the Kellenmore experience, like I think 90% of it you feel really, really good about. You know, this is a team that ran for 230 yards and had, you know, one of the most historically efficient run games in NFL history in week one. 
Um, Justin Herbert had an average depth of target of 11.1 yards against the Tennessee Titans. So, like, Kellen Moore is doing the thing. Like, he's doing what we wanted him to do in terms of the run game, in terms of allowing this offense to be more vertical. There are definitely some things that you want to see be cleaned up as an operation, you know, and personnel usage like we talked about with Quentin Johnston. Um, I think some of it is just kind of like figuring things out as an offense. Like, we saw some of this in the first year of the Joe Lombardi offense where they had all of those, like, illegal shift penalties that cost the Chargers basically the, the, the Cowboys game when they had, like, four of them. You know, I think some of the things that are happening – are just the the fact that this is a new offense and there's some little details that are new. And, you know, uh, on that last drive in regulation where the Chargers had um, the chance to go down and win the game, there was a stunt by the Tennessee Titans up front, which resulted in a Harold Landry sack, where in the future, Trey Pipkins and Jamari Salyer are going to be able to handle that better because they'll have all of these reps and chemistry and communication. But this was their second game together. And, you know, Trey Pipkins, I think, thought that Jamari was going to slide over in time, and that didn't happen, and Harold Landry went right through and sacked Justin Herbert, drive over, field goal attempt, instead of a potential touchdown. And then you look at the overtime sequence where um, whatever was communicated was not communicated effectively to everybody, and players were lined up in the wrong spots, and Justin Herbert is trying to get everybody lined up in the correct spots, and then the play clock is winding down and then Corey Lindsay just has to snap the ball or they get a penalty. So just things like that, like operationally, like I expect to continue uh, uh, to improve, excuse me. Um, when you zoom out, like I mentioned, this is an, an offense that, like you mentioned, is averaging 29 points per game. It's currently top five in DVOA, EPA per play. And this is a very efficient and effective offense. I think Kellen Moore from a game plan perspective, you know, run heavy against the Dolphins pass heavy against the Titans makes sense. And I think going forward, the things that we are frustrated by will continue to improve because I think Kellen Moore is just too smart to let things like this keep the Chargers offense down for the whole season. Yeah, no, I do expect it to improve. We saw from the jump, the run game, it exists. It works. Now, Eichler being back would be great. But okay, so from that first game, what did we want to see? Some different things from the passing offense. And I think that improved. I think even just saw just by getting Mike Williams more involved, you know, it was very much the Keenan Allen show in week one. They got Mike Williams a lot more involved in week two. Yeah. So I think this offense will continue to evolve. And look, we said beforehand, playing the Titans is not easy. They're going to drag you into a game where you make mistakes, you look bad, the offensive line is going to struggle in moments. So it's no surprise that there were some issues. I think the Vikings are just a really good team to get next in terms of the defense. So I think <laughs> things should look better against the, uh, against the Vikings than they were against yeah. the Titans. Um, but again, this this offense, it's their second time playing together. They didn't really get to do this at all. They certainly didn't in the preseason. And so it'll improve. And like you said, the, the communication things, these guys are all pros. They'll figure it out. I, I'm not worried about this offensive line figuring out those protection things or the offense being more explosive or, or whatever it is. I think they'll improve. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, Tyler, let's uh, wrap this conversation up. Uh, who is your game ball player of the week two for the Chargers? Yeah, the game ball player of the week for me for week two is going to be Kenneth Murray, a player who, you know, a, a very, let's say, inconsistent career with the Los Angeles Chargers. And when I, a lot of fans heard that he was going to be the guy calling plays, the green dot guy in this defense, 
there was a lot of apprehension and some more than apprehension. I'll, I'll say that much among some fans. And Kenneth Murray played an excellent game. Brandon Staley said it's the best game since he's been there as the coach. I think it's probably his best game since the Patriots game way back when in his rookie season. And it was the tune of 10 total tackles, five solo, one sack, two tackles for loss, and a quarterback hit. Granted, that's one of the easiest sacks Kenneth Murray is ever going to have. But hey, you got to make the plays, right? You do have to make the plays. Yeah. And he did. It was a very, very good game, not just in terms of racking up the stats, but seeing things and working downhill. This was a very, 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 very good game by any standards and a great game for Kenneth Murray, especially considering the situation he was placed in as being the guy, the green dot guy. And so kudos to him for having a really, really solid game against a very, very difficult running back core. Yeah, there were a couple really high-level collisions between him and and Derrick Henry on Sunday. It was a lot of fun to watch. Um, Just felt like he played more confident. You know, I felt like he was able to trigger downhill faster um, and and get to those launch points, if you will, at a a higher rate. Um, So I, I think that's a great call. Considering you know the the way that people were talking about him on social media, Kenneth Murray definitely exceeded expectations. Played a very clean game and had some really high level moments in that one. So I think that's a good one. Uh, mine has to be Thule. To me, it was to, the most impactful performance of the day. What he was able to do against the run, what he's able to do as a pass rusher, as a designed uh, blitzer, freeing up the other edge rushers. It was just a, a ton of fun to watch. And uh, super encouraging for where he's at. So Thule and Kenneth, uh, surprisingly, two defensive players uh, getting the game ball this week. But um, I I think you could give an honorable mention shout-out to Keenan Allen as well, who, Mm -hmm. uh, as of right now, Keenan Allen is is averaging the highest depth of target of his career since his rookie season uh, and his highest yards per route run since 2017 so keenan allen mm-hmm. still got a lot of juice left still a really good player and i love the way that Kilmore is using him so far yeah it's interesting all the talk about i was looking at this his usage more on the outside versus the slot it's like a three or four percent difference compared to the last <laughs> couple of seasons but he's a lot more efficient with what he's what he's been given right now and what he's doing um, yeah. currently projected for 119 catches 1590 yards and 17 <laughs> touchdowns. Um, I don't think the touchdowns is going to hold. If Keenan no. Allen breaks double-digit touchdowns, fantastic. Um, I don't know if he ever has. If he has, it's been a minute. Um, but he's yeah, he's been he's been awesome. Definitely an honorable mention there, Rashawn Slater. It's it's really is a bummer. Trey Pipkins for the two-point conversion. You know all that, that sort was of so stuff. fun. And, and Kellen Moore for lining up Will Clapp in the slot. Like, just <laughs> give a game ball to that. You know what a, what a play. What a play. You know I, I and I wish. I wish the Chargers had won this game so we could just get on here and talk about all these great individual performances. And we talked about some of them, but um, yeah, the, some really, really good performances overall. I could say Morgan Fox, a lot of better individual performances. And the defense, like, I don't know when we'll talk about this ever, but they played better. They played better. The front in particular played a lot better. Yeah. Kudos to them for that. There are just some things we got to clean up and hopefully they win so we can come on the show and say something like just nothing but positivity um and i'm not sick yeah uh definitely played derrick henry better than last year i think i i really like the way that they played derrick henry um mm-hmm. he had one explosive run but outside of that it was it was a lot of you know connective tissue up front um <laughs> will clap though lining up in, in the slot we've seen him <laughs> line up at slot at tight end at fullback the guy is just out here living his best life i love to see it um super creative design i 
I feel like the Titans were just like a hot mess. They're like a backup center is out here at slot. <laughs> like what is going on here? So it was it was a lot of fun. I love that that play design. And Trey had a nice catch. It was a it was it was a little bit of a, a jump ball kind of situation. It was a great catch. Respect. Yeah. I know it wasn't a contested catch, but you know, difficult, you know, it wasn't a perfect ball. He had to really jump up and use his hands correctly. Very impressive. You know, very, very impressive. Really, really awesome stuff. I'm waiting for this to be the Rashawn Slater play at like the 50. And I just want to watch a DB try to tackle Rashawn Slater with his elite RAS. That was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to see Rashawn on the open field. Yeah. All right. We'll do our, our little, uh, mini look ahead here. We're running out of time. Um, Chargers and Vikings both 0-2 this week. Um, as of right now, the history of 0-2 teams making the playoffs, there's still some some hope left out there from a historical data perspective. I think it's 11.5% of the teams who start 0-2 still end up making the playoffs. Uh, if you lose, it goes down <laughs> significantly. Uh, since 2002, according to Bill Barnwell of ESPN, um, there have been – let me make sure I get this number right – uh, there have been 99 teams in the NFL since 2002 that have started 0-3, and there have been exactly one to make the playoffs. That was the 2018 Houston Texans. So uh, from a historical perspective, this game is an absolute must-win scenario for the Chargers. They have to win to keep their chances alive. Um, Tyler, what's kind of the biggest thing you're watching as we kind of zoom out and, and peek ahead towards the Minnesota Vikings? Really just how they handle both the gotta-have-it-clutch situations as well as third down. I don't recall exactly what the stat was against the Titans, but it was a very low percentage of conversions. So how does the offense convert in those situations? This isn't a game where, like, okay, maybe against the Titans you could win with 21 points or, or 24 points, and they almost did. Uh, against the Vikings and against Justin Jefferson and the way the defense has been playing, this feels like a 30-plus game is a must in order to win this one. Regardless of how the defense is for the Vikings or what you think of Kirk Cousins, they're going to put up points. And so I want to see how these, the Chargers can you know, take what they've done in week one and grown into week two. Now in week three, can we, can we finish these games? Can we be better on third down? That's what I'm looking for more than anything else. How they accomplish that, I don't care. Throw it to Trey Pipkins. Throw it to Scott Matlock. I don't care what you do. I'll run out there. Whatever you need. But make it work and get a win. Yeah, the, again, there's a, there should be a lot of urgency heading into this game because historically this is a, a must-win situation. For me, this is going to come down to how Kellen Moore manufactures explosive plays, and I think this is partially like where Quentin Johnson comes in. Um, if you watch that game uh, on Thursday night uh, from the Minnesota Vikings and the Philadelphia Eagles, you saw Brian Flores throw three safeties in the back and dared the Philadelphia Eagles to run the football. Um, what happened was the Philadelphia Eagles nearly matched the Chargers in their historical success rate on the ground, but his mission was very clearly like, we're going to keep everything in front of us. We're going to do something different, and we are not going to allow A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith to get behind us and create these explosive plays. Uh, at this current moment, the Vikings have the fourth, fourth fewest explosive plays allowed on defense. Uh, which is a really, really impressive feat given who they have played in the first two weeks. So Kellen Moore is going to have to come into this game and manufacture some explosive plays at a higher rate than previously because a lot of this, the explosive plays have just come 
or organically, right, on a big run, on a Keenan Allen, you know, uh, cover two hole shot. Well, if Brian Flores is going to sit back there with three safeties, you got to figure out a way to get past them and, and figure out a way to create these explosive play opportunities. Otherwise, you're just going to have to be a super efficient play-to-play down, down-to-down offense, and I don't know if that's how you win this kind of game. I think you got to figure out a way to uh, create some explosive plays on offense, and I'm curious to see how Kilmore does that against Brian Flores this week. Yeah, should be a fun one. Should definitely be a fun one. Hopefully the Chargers can uh, win this game and we can have a more positive uh, week next week and and talk about how the chances are still alive and everything like that will be a lot of fun. Uh, These two teams, I feel like, are almost mirror images of each other. So I would imagine this game to have a little bit of craziness, a little bit of (laughs) uh, wild ending kind of game. So... Uh, definitely fasten those seatbelts on Sunday morning. Uh, Tyler, any final thoughts before we head out? Uh, nope. Just I hope the next time I see you guys on this channel, it's a win. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. But if not, we'll be here anyway. Yes, we will definitely be here. Uh, appreciate Tyler for uh, joining me today. As always, appreciate uh, Greg Kim for producing. Appreciate the Chargers for Um, allowing us to have this platform as as sincerely as possible. We are very, very grateful. Um, That's going to do it for us today. Hope you guys have a good rest of your week. As always, bolt up.